This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5, and that's found on page 528 in your pew Bibles. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. My son, if you received my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Well, good morning. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. Uh, it's good to sing with you guys. That was really sweet. Hey, before we uh, dive in to the text this morning, I just want to give you a quick overview on where we're going to be over the next couple weeks and then where we're going to lock in for the fall here in the, in the pulpit. Uh, so, for the next couple weeks, uh, this week and then the next two following, um, we're going to just do a few standalone sermons talking about the knowledge of God, uh, pursuing the face of God, uh, a, a life that is wholly given over to um, pursuing, growing in wisdom, knowledge of God, those kind of things. And then um, the last week of August through the end of the year, we're going to uh, drill into the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter five through seven. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time just walking through this uh, teaching of Jesus that lays out a life that is marked by wisdom. In, in many ways, you could say that the Sermon on the Mount is the value system of the kingdom of heaven as Jesus presents it for his people, those who would follow after him. So we're going to spend several months uh, drilling into those three chapters in a specific way, and I'm really excited for what the Lord has for us in that time together. Uh, but this morning, what I want us to look at is the need in our moment of history and in our lives and in our time and in our cultural moment for us as the people of God to pursue with intentional, uh, passionate, consistent searching after the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And uh, my real prayer for us is that in some ways this would be a call to us as a church to set ourselves on a, on a path and a journey to lay hold of the knowledge of God in all things as the first pursuit of our lives. And so that's where we're going to head today in Proverbs chapter one. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll jump in together. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word brings life. Thank you that your word brings light. God, thank you that you have made a way for us to come before you because of your son, Jesus. 
Thank you that in your grace and in your faithfulness and in your goodness, you have provided a way for us to know you. God, and I ask you that you would this morning open the eyes of our hearts. God, as we hear your word, I ask that you would stir us. I ask that the word would do what you promise that it will. You say that every time your word goes forth, it never comes back to you without accomplishing everything that you desire. God, so this morning in this place, would you make us receptive to your word? Would you make us alive to your word? Would you make us those who long to reorient all of our lives around the invitation to know you and to pursue you and to grow in wisdom. God, I ask that you would put a flag in the ground, so to speak, in this church this morning. I ask that we would be a people that are marked in this city as those that know our God. I ask that the thing that would define us more than anything, more than anything, more than anything, would be that we know you that we are a people that know you, that we understand who you are and we know how to live our lives in the midst of a broken and fallen world because we have met you, we have seen you, we know you in the deepest places of our souls. God, I ask that any other metric that we might have for success in this world would be reordered and reoriented. God, would you make the primary claim about this people, that we are a people that know our God. God, and would you do that for your namesake? God, and I'm really aware in this moment for my insufficiency to do that, our own insufficiency to do that. So would you come in all the places where we are lacking and would you make up that gap by the presence and the power of your spirit here? We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, like I said, we're gonna be talking about pursuing wisdom and the knowledge of God and what... Where I get this from is the last statement of Proverbs chapter two, verse five, where the promise comes to the people of God who will hear this call, who will respond, who will orient and order their lives around these pursuits. And God promises that in this pursuit that we will find the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. And so when I say the need for wisdom, uh, what I mean is shorthand for the fear of the Lord. And we'll get into that later. But Proverbs makes it very clear in the opening chapter, chapter one, verse seven, that the fear of the Lord is actually the starting point of wisdom. So if we want to grow in wisdom, we need to pursue the fear of the Lord. So what I hope for us to come to today is a, a desire as a people to pursue wisdom and the knowledge of God. But how I want to start there this morning is to present for us what I believe the need is in our moment, the need for wisdom and the knowledge of God. Look with me at letter A if you have the notes and you're following along there. We live in a particular moment in an hour of human history where there is a growing full frontal assault on the things of God. 
We are experiencing this in a manner unique in our generation. We're, we're seeing this in a lot of different ways. You could say we're seeing this in the decay of public morality or the death of institutions, things that people have held that kind of help us know how to make sense of our place in society and in the world and in, in, uh, in our culture together. These are being warred against uh, by people on, on the whole. And we see the widespread acceptance of immorality and deception, even on a global scale. Although this is true at all times, in, in some ways, because of the sinfulness of men, the scripture does speak of particular seasons where God either restrains the growing or the outworking of evil in a particular moment or hands them over to greater measures of lawlessness and unrighteousness in a given moment. We see this in the scripture in Romans chapter one. So if you go read Romans one on your own, what you see is this progression where God at times, because of the lawlessness in the hearts of people and the sin in the hearts of people, he, there are times when he hands societies or cultures over to greater measures or greater expressions of sin at a given moment. And we also see this in a specific way in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where it's speaking of, in a particular way, the man of sin or a, a person who would lead a society in ways of lawlessness and sin. But he says, Paul says there's a, 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 a means that God is using to restrain that from happening happening right now. But there's a day when that restraint will be taken up, off and lawlessness will increase. And so although it is true that every generation of Christians faces this assault against uh, the knowledge of God and the things of God and the truth of God, there are particular times and seasons where God removes his restraining hand and lets that grow up in really common ways among a society. And I think we're walking in the middle of one of those. I think if we look around, we're seeing this a uh, season change where the restraining grace of God in some ways in our moment is being taken back and we're seeing unrighteousness and lawlessness grow up. The primary need for the church in those kinds of moments is to be filled with the knowledge of God and wisdom. What I mean when I say the knowledge of God is simply this, what we believe about God expressed in how we relate to him. So what do we believe about God? And that is expressed in boots on the ground, real ways in how we relate to him and how we live in the world where we've been put. That's the knowledge of God. And so I want to make the claim this morning that I think the greatest need of the church in this particular moment is the knowledge of God. It is the knowledge of God. I don't know if we often stop and think about that. Many believers do not understand the necessity of cultivating wisdom or pursuing the knowledge of God. Oftentimes we're content to kind of go through the motions or content to kind of take on some cultural cues about what it means to be a Christian in the world. Uh, yet we find ourselves at a crossroads in human history 
one that I do not believe will be able to endure through simply by new methods, new ideas, or better programs. I want us to really touch that for a second. I don't think what we need right now are better programs, new methods. I don't think that it's just like maybe the ways that the church is doing things are a little bit outdated and we need to like get with the times. I don't think we need better programs, better methods, better ideas. I think we need as a people to be consumed with knowing God first and foremost and understanding his wisdom in and through our lives. Daniel the, the, the book of Daniel, he prophesied that in times of extreme trouble, it would be the people that know their God who are able to stand firm and take action. Look with me at Daniel 11, chapter, or, uh, verse 32 and 33. He, this is speaking again of a, a particular moment, a, a, a man that's raised up by God to come against the purposes of God and oppress the people of God. And He says, this person will seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God will stand firm. He says, there's going to be a moment when there's deception and flattery and all of this murkiness in the water around how to relate to God and what to do and what's real and what's going on. And he says, the people that know God will stand firm. Not the people with the best strategies, not the people with the hypest services, not the people with the best community groups, none of that. The people that know God will stand firm. This is the only hope in these kind of situations. He says, so those that know their God will stand firm and take action. 33, and the wise among the people will make many understand. So not only are they going to be able to stand firm for themselves, they'll be able to, through their knowledge of who God is, what he's like, what he's at work doing, they'll be able to stand and help others understand and make sense of how to relate to him, how to respond to him in those places. David also related the pursuit of the beauty of God or the knowledge of God with inquiring of the Lord's heart and his will. You can read Psalm 27 on your own there. The need to orient our lives in a way that God evaluates as wise is ultimately the call of Christian discipleship. This is the call of every generation of Christians till the Lord returns, yet there are particular and specific hindrances to this pursuit in our current moment. I just want to highlight two that I see. Two that I see really clearly uh, right now that provide a, a unique hindrance to pursuing this in our moment. The first is, I think that the spirit of deception among believers is on the rise. I don't know if any of you all feel this, but we live in a moment where the water seems to be really muddy, right? You've got people uh, who, who claim to know Jesus and claim to love Jesus saying vastly different things, and you have different ways of seeing it and ways of understanding, and there's lots of questions, and it kind of puts us on our heels going, what is true here? 
What is the way forward? How does God see this? What is his word here? How do we understand God's ways in his word and his character in the midst of this? And the waters feel really muddy and really confusing. The answer is not always to get the answer right here. The answer is, do we know God? Do we know God? That's the first way that I see it happening in our moment. The second thing that I think is a particular hindrance to us right now, one that I'm watching kind of take root and I feel it in my own heart. And as I speak to other people, I see it starting to rear its head is that there is this growing sense of uh, hostility that faces the truth of God's word in our relationships, in our society, all of those kind of things. And what this does is it tempts the people of God to fear, right? It tempts us to, again, get on our heels and be afraid. When can I say something? When shouldn't I say something? Man, if I said what I really believed or what I think God's word says here, it would be immediately discounted or or reviled or pushed against. And there's this prevailing temptation to be afraid and to retreat. What do we see again in Daniel chapter 11? Those that know their God will do what? Stand firm and take action, right? Like there's this not cowering back in fear that happens in the midst of knowing God. Letter H, Jesus tells us of days when lawlessness will be increased. And this leads to love growing cold. Now it's in these times that the Lord calls his disciples to be wise and to be faithful, meaning possessing a life that's ordered toward what he calls wise. Look at Matthew 24 verses 12 and then later in 45. Because lawlessness is increased, so in times when lawlessness is increased, you see something happen. The love of many grows cold. The love of many grows cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. After he lays out what this is going to look like in reality, he tells this parable. And in verse 45, he says, who then in the midst of all of these things is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household? So we need to be pursuing wisdom, right? what God calls wise, what wisdom looks like in this time. Now, whether or not we live in a time of increased lawlessness, one day each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account to what we did in our lives. Second Corinthians 5 says it this way. We make it our aim to please God, Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So let me take a pause here. Maybe help you understand what I mean when I say pursuing wisdom, right? I want us to feel the reality or the need to order our lives around the things that God calls wise. What does God call 
good and right and wise. And what I'm trying to put on the table is in times where there's increased difficulty or increased hostility or increased lawlessness, those that know God and have ordered their lives according to wisdom have an ability to stand firm. That is what we see throughout the scriptures. And whether or not that's true, what I'm trying to say is maybe you don't agree with me. Maybe you look at society and go, no, 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 the way your read of it is wrong. It's not getting more lawless. It's not getting those things. Even if that is true, there is a day where each of us will stand face to face with Jesus and he will ask you and evaluate your life according to what you have done in your life. Now that is speaking to believers, people who have been born again by the grace of God, been lavished with his mercy and his forgiving power. He says, you will stand before Jesus and give an account. So what does that mean for us? Right? Sometimes we have a hard time navigating that, right? Like we, we want to go, okay, the mercy of God and the free grace of God means that what we do in our lives isn't as important. Now, I want to try to make sense of the relationship between mercy and wisdom in the economy of God. Okay? Look at letter J. The mercy of God is free forgiveness apart from our works, right? So God looked at you when you were running headlong against his ways, running far off from him. He sent his spirit to you. He, uh, when you heard the gospel and you responded with faith, he re uh, 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 revived your soul and made you born again, not of any merit of your own, not of any work of your own, not of anything that you deserved just because of his mercy and his grace. And all of your shortcomings and sins and weaknesses and fallings have been abundantly covered by his grace and mercy. You could have blown it royally last night. You could have given your life away to some form of perversion and lawlessness and sin last night. And you stand up before God in a posture of repentance. You are forgiven and righteous there. Not because of anything you've done, not because of anything that you brought to the table, just because of his unmerited love for you. You are as righteous in that moment as you will be a billion years from now clothed in glory. Stop and think about that for a minute. Okay, that is the mercy of God. And at the same time, wisdom requires that we experience greater blessing or difficulty in line with the choices we make and what we give our lives to. On our vacation, we just took some time, vacation time in July 
And we decided to spend the mornings in the Proverbs with our boys. So we're reading through the Proverbs. Uh, we, we realized we've got three uh, teenage young men and the Proverbs is written for uh, foolish boys, right? So we're like, man, we're, we're all in this boat together. Let's read the Proverbs and learn, learn how to grow up. So we get to Proverbs 2, we get to Proverbs 4, we get to Proverbs 7, we get to Proverbs 8. And my boys, you can tell a little bit that there's this like unsettledness about Lady Wisdom, right? And so we're, we're asking questions. What, what's going on here? And they're like, man, Lady Wisdom doesn't sound very merciful, right? She's pretty exacting. Like, if you don't follow my ways, it's going to come to you. You're, you're going to get what you deserved. There's not going to be any mercy for you. That doesn't sound a lot like God. They're, and they're grappling with this and wrestling with this. And I've really been trying to help them make sense of the difference between the mercy of God and the realities of what happens because of wisdom or foolishness in our choices. Right? So I've done things like this. If I went out tonight and started to take up a gambling problem or something, right? And I took all of our money and blew it all tonight. Just went crazy. Got some weird bee in my bonnet and like thought I was going to be a high roller and lost everything. Tomorrow morning, I can wake up, stand before God, repent of my sin, be washed in his mercy, be cleansed in his blood. And there is literally nothing that stands between me and him and I'm still poor as dirt, right? The money doesn't come back tomorrow morning, right? I still have to deal with the consequences of my choices and my actions and what I did in the body that still matters for my life, right? That's foolishness and wisdom. Think about it this way. If you had a test, whether you're in school or you were in school, remember those, those times, right? You've got a test. You know it's coming three months from now. And you spend every waking moment playing video games or hanging out with your friends or you do all these things. And test time comes and you don't know the stuff. You can be clean before God and still not have a clue what's on the test. Now let me make it more potent to us as followers of Jesus. Turn the page, look at the top of page two. First Corinthians three says it this way. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation that is given to you by grace alone, through faith alone, that is Jesus Christ, you can't have any other foundation. If anybody builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will be manifest for the day will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as though through fire. So at the judgment seat of Jesus, there will be Christians who actually suffer loss, 
because they failed to pursue deep things in the knowledge of God or walk in wisdom. They will experience the infinite mercy of God, his saving power in Christ Jesus. But according to Paul, they will actually experience, experience some form of loss. They will experience some sort of potential blessing by building with materials that do not matter in eternity. The same type of thing happens. If you go and read Matthew 25, verses 1 to 12, there's a parable that Jesus tells about what it means to walk in wisdom. He tells this story of 10 virgins that go out. Some of them take oil, some of them don't. There's a moment where what is required of them is put on display. Some of them have done it and some of them don't. And in those moments, you can't make it up. Here's the sober reality I want us to feel. In times of trouble, in times of difficulty, in times of hardship, if the reality is those that know their God will stand, there is a reality of pursuing the knowledge of God that is essential for us. Right? We don't want to be like the kind of people who know the test is coming, who know the test is coming, who know the harvest is coming, and we go, you know what? Just a little twiddling of the thumbs, just a little bit of the laying back and, sl- and slumbering here, because it'll be okay. And then when the test comes, we've squandered our time, and we do not have the knowledge that is required to stand there. Now, I want us to feel that. I want us to feel that as a people. I want us to go, as a people, let's be those who give our lives away to pursuing the knowledge of God at all costs, as the first pursuit of our lives. Now, how do we do that? Proverbs actually gives us a roadmap. Proverbs gives us a roadmap of what it means to pursue the knowledge of God, a pathway, a roadmap. He promises to grant to his people the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God to any who pursue this path. Look at under Roman numeral two, letter B. We have to understand that growing in the knowledge of God and in growing in wisdom is not a guarantee. It is a promise, but it isn't a promise given outside of our laying hold of the grace of God and participating in the means that he has ordained for that to happen. Salvation is not conditional. However, growing in the grace of God in Christ Jesus in our experience, growing in the knowledge of God, walking in maturity, seeing victory over sin and experiencing the fear of the Lord are participatory in nature. Don't let anybody tell you anything else. Do not accept a teaching that tells you anything other than that. Now, it doesn't earn it. You don't afford it. You don't merit it. But God does lay out the means and he says, hey, here are the means. You want to know me? You want to grow in the fear of the Lord? Here are the means. And we can't um, forget the means and go, why isn't it not happening? 
God goes, hey, here's the means to be full. Pick up the food, put it in your mouth, chew it and swallow it. You go, well, man, it's just all grace. I don't want to earn anything here. God goes, if you didn't use the means, you're not going to be full. You can't actually eat the meal if you don't use the mechanisms that I've given you. Likewise, he says, any and all who walk in these ways will experience the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. So Proverbs 2 lays out for us four conditions to growing in the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Each of these is two commands given uh, as, as kind of pairs. So there's four pairs of two that we could lock into. And I just want to fly over these because I want us to give ourselves to these as the people of God in this next season. Okay, condition number one, treasuring God's word. This is in verse one. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments in you. So God starts with this call, receive my words and take them and treasure them inside of you. This is not simply just like a mindset or something that we hope that we do one day. He says, actually receive my words, take them, treasure them in you, meditate upon them, give your life to filling your mind, your heart, your affections with the words that I have spoken to you. Receive them like food, chew on them, meditate on them, take them in, ingest them. The picture that I love from the book of Revelation that God gives to John is take the book and eat it. Take the book and eat it. Chew on it. Swallow it. Let it become a part of you. Let it go down deep inside of you. So what does that mean? This isn't simply speaking of looking to this book as a means to get some information or even just trying to understand it. Those things are both really beautiful and really good and are great starting places. But what it's speaking of is loving meditation on the word of God. Loving meditation on the word of God. And how we meditate on God's word is we take what he has spoken to us and we begin to pray it back to him with a spirit of thanksgiving. So we begin to take that he has spoken a truth over us. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. God, thank you that you are my shepherd. Thank you that in the places of hardship, you are leading me. Thank you that whether I see it or I don't see it, whether I feel it or I don't feel it, you right now are my shepherd. You are guiding me. You are leading me. You are watching me. You are protecting me. You are providing for me. Thank you for that. Now, in the place where I am, will you help my heart connect to that more? Will you reveal that to me more? Reveal yourself as a shepherd. Show me that you are a shepherd. Let that truth be alive to me. That's how we treasure God's word. You treasure God's word by taking it and beginning to pray it to him in a spirit of thanksgiving. Now, I just want to, this is a total side point. The reason I want to say a spirit of thanksgiving is it is remarkably easy, and we're not the first people in human history that do this, right? It is remarkably easy that we like to grumble about just about everything. 
right? We like to grumble about everything. We want to complain about everything. We complain about the weather. We complain about sports teams. We complain about whatever our boss, our coworkers are this, are this, are this, are this, are this. It is what saturates us. And the Lord goes, come to me. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4. Come to the Lord with supplication in a spirit of thanksgiving. Give thanks. Give thanks to God that his word is true right now in every place, every single part of your life. His word is true. Whether we are connected to that or not, we can give thanks for that. We can give thanks for that. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you are sovereign. Thank you that you are loving. Thank you that you are just, that you are kind, that you are merciful. As you walk through the word, begin to turn it into dialogue with a spirit of thanksgiving. Now that doesn't happen on the run. That's not fast food, right? That is time, loving meditation. And let me just give you a, um, a little heads up. Most of the time, it feels way more like plowing dry ground than it does being refreshed with a cold cup of water. It doesn't feel like a spring rain coming down and washing over you or this like sentimental, I've got my cup of coffee in the word of God. I'm just feeling the warmth of his presence. That happens from time to time and praise God that it does. But most of the time it feels like tilling dry ground taking the oxen with the plow and walking behind it under the sweat of our brow and going, God, would you show my heart this again? Would you show my heart this again? Would you make this true to me, even in the midst of this? And then you get distracted and your mind starts to wander and you have to rein it back in and go, God, help me believe this. Help me to see this. Thank you that this is true. That's what it is. Receive my words, treasure them in your heart. That's condition number one. Condition number two speaks of a humble spirit of obedience. The next two commandments are make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. When we hear these phrases throughout the Bible, hearing, inclining your heart, things like that, they rarely have to do with the act of like sound waves coming into your ear. To make your heart attentive or inclining your heart or making your ear attentive has to do with a receptive posture that says whatever you speak goes and my life will order, be ordered around that no matter what. To hear in the Bible is to receive, to be reordered and to obey. That's what it means to hear in the Bible. So the first part of a spirit of obedience here speaks of having a teachable spirit, right? We come to the word of God assuming that our assumptions are wrong, right? We come to the word of God saying, your word does not change. Your word is true. Your word is right. Your word is good. Your word is pure. You get the final say over everything at every moment, always. You always win, So I humble myself and will receive from your word, no matter what. If it comes into a place where my assumptions do not match what you say, I change. I don't change you. 
I don't change your word. I don't move that around. I come and say, God, your word is good. Speak to me, change me, conform me. So we come with a humble, teachable spirit. The second thing is that it's not just about humility. This is expressed in a willingness to respond to his word through a spirit of obedience. Now, a spirit of obedience means that we're intentionally and consistently seeking to wage war against sin and ask God to release the help of his spirit to walk out obedience to his word. This doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean that we attain it perfectly. It means that our heart reaches for it. And when we show and we see that we have come short of it, we're quick to repent and we turn our hearts again, asking him for his grace. Condition number three, a persistent petition. If we're to grow in the knowledge of God and wisdom, we must continually, intentionally, and persistently ask him to give this to us. Look at verse three. If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, Jesus says it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm excited for when we get to this several months from now in in this text, but he says, ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, it will be open for you. Here's the promise. Everybody that asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks, it will be open to them. If you are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your father in heaven know how to give you what you need? Ask. You want to grow in in wisdom, in the fear of the Lord, in the knowledge of God? Do not stop asking. Come before him and say, give me the knowledge of God. Show me who you are. Fill the eyes of my heart with knowing you. Shine the light of your face upon me. Let me know you more. I want to stand firm. I want to be the one that knows my God and stands firm in this world. Would you show yourself to me? Lead me in your ways. Ask him, ask him, ask him, and do not give up. Don't ask him one time and then run away and be like, well, he didn't answer me. Ask, 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 ask. Be like Jacob in the night. Lay hold of him and go, I'm not going to let go until you do it. I will not let go until you do this. Ask, ask, ask. I think this is the prayer that God loves to answer the most. And I've got a couple on the sheet there if you want it. Condition number four, sustained pursuit that is costly. It is costly. The author of Proverbs invites us to seek after this and search for it more than we would search for treasures, gold, silver. To seek after growing in wisdom and the knowledge of God actually means that we say no to other things other pursuits, other endeavors, other values, other things that might even be good in this world. We say no to them in order to give our lives to this kind of pursuit. It will be costly. And I want to tell you something. It may look foolish. It may look foolish to your friends. It may look foolish to your family. It may look foolish to your coworkers. It may cost you reputation. It may cost you uh, the ability to like 
pursue all the things that you want to pursue. I promise you it will be worth it. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist came in singing a wedding song like a dirge. I came singing a a wedding song or a a funeral dirge, a wedding song. A wedding dirge is a weird thing. Uh, Scratch that. Uh, He came singing a funeral dirge. I came singing a wedding song. Nobody knew what to do. We played the dirge, you didn't mourn. We sang the celebration song and you didn't dance. And he says, there's people who don't know how to respond to what God is doing. He says, but guess what? There will be some who did and wisdom will be vindicated. What he's getting at is he's saying, people that know how to respond It will look foolish today. It's going to look foolish today. But wisdom will be vindicated. It will be vindicated. There will be a day when it will be seen as wise and right. And let me tell you what. All that matters about your life is what the man Jesus says about you when you stand in his presence. That's all that matters about your life. That is all that matters about your life. And so why would we not give our lives away to pursue this? I have a couple other scriptures there that you can look at at your own. Jesus talks about the kingdom being like a treasure hidden in the field. It's worth selling everything to have it. Paul says, I count every single thing that I would have counted gain loss so that I could know him, that I could know him. I count it as loss. So the promise that comes to us, God promises that if his people pursue these things, he will meet them. This is a promise. God is good and he does reward those who diligently seek him, Hebrews 11 tells us. He is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, what does he promise us? I want to just highlight these, and then if you permit me, I want to take just a second to encourage us and exhort us and apply this as we move forward. The promises are the fear of the Lord. This speaks of the awareness that God sees all things. Proverbs 15.3 says the eyes of the Lord are in every place. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. God sees all. He cares. And one day we stand in his presence to, uh, to, and he will evaluate our lives in accordance with his character and nature. This is the starting place of wisdom. Because if we connect with these realities, we orient, to live our, or orient our lives around what is pleasing to him. Why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord says God sees all and he cares. And wisdom will be justified, will be vindicated. If we connect to that reality, we go, I want to live in a way that's wise. I want to live in a way that God calls wise. 
I want to live, if we can connect to that reality, if he gives us the grace of the fear of the Lord, if that touches us and we become more connected to it, we long to orient our lives around what he calls wise. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So he promises, I will give to you the fear of the Lord and I will give you the knowledge of myself. This is, like I said, growing an intimate relationship with God. This is the purpose for which we are all created. This is why we were made. This is why we exist. This is why we have breath, is to know God, to know God. So my prayer for us, my invitation for us, my desire for us this morning, I long for us, like I've said, to be a people who long to pursue this, who will say, God, I I, want to lay hold of that. I want to lay hold of that as much as you will give me grace to. I want to orient my life around that. I want to treasure your word. I want to treasure your word. I want to take your word and receive it and treasure it in myself. I want to meditate on it. I want to give my life over to that. God, I want to obey you. I want to be obedient to you no matter what. Even in the places where it's costly or in the places where it seems like there's a discord between everything around me and what people say is okay and what your word says is okay. I want to bank my life on your word and obedience to you. I want to ask you again and again and again and again and again and again to do this. And I want to push all the chips into the middle and go, this is, this is my life. This is what I want to give my life away to, no matter the cost. Now, here's, here's where it's going to rubber meet the road. These are all real pursuits, right? Like I said at the beginning, these aren't just mindsets. They're not just ethereal things that it's like, oh yeah, it, it would be really cool to receive God's words and treasure them in my heart, or it really it would be awesome to be obedient and all these kind of things. These are real pursuits. And here's my invitation. Here's my invitation to us. Would you today and this week begin to ask the Lord, hey God, what would it mean for me in my life right now where I'm at? Just walk through each of these to take a step towards this. To take a step towards this. What would treasuring your commands, your word in my heart look like? Well, maybe, maybe that looks like you can't do it on the run. You can't do it on the run. You can't do it in a little thing here and a little thing there. Maybe you need to take a focused time this week, open your word and begin to ask the Lord to show himself to you in it to meditate on his word, to chew on it, to digest it, to take it into yourself. Maybe it's a place of obedience. Maybe God has put his finger on something in your life, your tongue, a way you're using your time, some of the ways that you're like engaging the world. And you've kind of pushed it off to the side. Like, yeah, maybe I'll get around to it someday. Maybe uh, maybe I'll, I'll really look at that. Or maybe, maybe God wouldn't really want to take that. 
What would obedience look like for you this week? To take a step of obedience there. What would a spiritual hunger that is asking the Lord regularly for this look like in your life? And lastly, costly pursuit is something that uh, I, don't, I don't know if we've done a really great job in, in the last season of the life of the American church talking about. Um, but the Bible, the Bible doesn't really like mince words. Think about if you knew there was a treasure hidden in Midtown that would sustain you for the rest of your life. And you knew the person who was telling you this. You knew they weren't like um, just making something up or it's not some weird conspiracy. Like you actually knew their, their uh, credibility there. What would you do? What would you do? Right? Like you'd probably tear out of here, start running, turning rocks, doing whatever it took to try to find it. You're going to be taken care of for the rest of your life. Every, every one of your wildest dreams will be fulfilled. You wouldn't sit there and do nothing, right? We wouldn't do that. That's not how we would respond. And God says, this is worth seeking after more than the greatest treasure you could ever imagine. More than the most lump sum of gold you could ever find, more than silver, more than anything. What is one thing that you could say no to this week? Now, here's where it's different than the second thing. Not an obedience thing where God says, hey, this is outside of my word. I don't want you to do that. That's that's pretty black and white. If God's putting his finger on something in your life and you're, 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 it's outside of his will, say yes to that. <laughs> Run headlong into obedience. What I'm talking about here is something that is good, but that is not beneficial. Something that you give your life to, takes up real time, takes up real energy, and you want to go this week, what's one thing that you could say no to and say, God, I want to I run after knowing you more. I want to run after growing in the fear of the Lord and pursuing the knowledge of God. Would you stand with me as we close? I'm going to have the team come up. We're going to come to the communion table here in a moment and respond together in that way. Um, But I want to respond in a couple ways this morning. Uh, First, I want to pray over us and create a moment for us to, in the presence of God, each one of us respond to the Lord and say yes. Say yes, this is who I want to be. This This is what I desire. I desire to grow in the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God and to even set ourselves before him and ask him to speak to us. So we're going to respond that way. 
Um, I'm gonna pray over us and we'll do that. And then I'll, I'll lead us to the table. We'll respond in communion. And then even before we get to this place, as we do every week, and I wanna, I wanna specifically like encourage us this morning, if there's something stirring in your soul um, as it relates to just even a greater desire, a greater hunger, a greater longing to know God, um, there is something really beautiful about us responding in the presence of other people, of saying, I'm, I'm gonna take a step toward that. We have people every Sunday that would love to pray with and for you. Uh, don't miss an opportunity to do that, um, to have somebody lay their hand on you and say, God, would you do more? Would you do more? Would you, you don't even have to really tell them what's going on. We can just stand and say, Spirit of God, would you do more here? So let's just take a moment and present ourselves to the Lord. God, we love you this morning. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you have made a way for us to know you. Thank you that you have orchestrated and ordained means that you promise to meet. God, we ask you this morning, just even all across this room, we ask you to move in our midst. Would you speak to us this morning? Would you direct our hearts? God, we say yes. We want to know you. We want to know you more. We want to be marked as those who know our God. God, would you make that even in some ways the banner over this church? God, we we would be like our reputation would be those that know their God. God, and would you remove from our hearts any other desire for any other kind of reputation, any other kind of like notoriety. We have nothing else. We don't need anything else. God, would you move us to be people that know you? God, and in this moment, I ask that you would begin to speak. I ask that you would uh, begin to whisper in hearts places in our lives where you would be inviting us. Would we be able to hear the voice of our beloved, our beloved God whispering to us and speaking to us, who, the one who knows our name, who knit us together in our mother's womb, who knows exactly the steps of our days, and has orchestrated our lives, would you speak to us, each one of us, and invite us, God? Would you give us the grace to respond, to say yes, to know you more? God, would you do all of these things this morning? Holy Spirit, would you work? God, I want to pray in a particular way. Um, I want to pray in a particular way this morning for the, the, the young men and women in our church. God, I want to ask that you would captivate their affections and their attention. God, would you th 
thunder to them and speak to them and tell them that there is no greater thing they could give their young years to than to run hard after you. God, would you please, 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 by the power of your spirit, lay hold of the hearts of my brothers and sisters in this room and show them that there is no more worthy endeavor to give their youth and their energy to than to sitting at your feet and feasting upon your word. God, I ask in a, in a society and in a culture that tells us that there's always something that we can be missing out on and like all of this energy and excitement around um, partaking of the things of this world, I actually ask that you would give um, some of the, the, the 20-somethings in this room a vision to run hard after you that costs things in the secret place. And that you would trumpet to them the worth of that. You would convince them of the worth of that. You would show them the worth of that, that there's nothing more powerful or noble they could give their lives to. God, I ask for that in a specific way. And I, I, actually, I actually do really ask for that in a very specific and particular way this morning for the young men in our church. God, I ask that you would, in a moment where there is a, an assault on the attention of young men and an assault on the design of young men, God, would you thunder from heaven and say, I have purposes for you, purposes and plans for you that are bigger than your gifts, bigger than your vocation, bigger than all of those things. I designed you and made you to know me. God, would you arrest hearts this morning? I actually ask right now, would you cultivate vision for laying hold of the knowledge of God? That there would be young men in this room whose lives are changed and like the trajectory of what we see in Daniel 11 happens because of things that you did this morning, that there would be men who know their God and stand firm, stand firm and are able to make many come to understanding. God, would you, would you speak? Would you move? Okay, what we're going to do, we're going to come to the table and I'm going to do two things. One, this a little different. Uh, we're going to come to the table. We're going to celebrate the reality, of the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus, the infinite mercy of God made known in and through his son. The only way that we have hope before God is because of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. We remember that by faith this morning. We will come and receive that. If you're a Christian in the room, if you put your hope in Jesus, you put your faith in him, we want to invite you to come and receive this morning uh, of, of this meal together. The way we take communion at Redeemer is we take a piece of the bread off. We dip it in the cup. We have um, wine in the stoneware. We have juice in the glassware. We'll have servers up in the front, the middle, and in the balcony, and we'll have a, a gluten-free station over here to my right. 
Um, if you're in the room and you aren't a follower of Jesus, you don't put your faith in him, we wanna ask that you not come take this meal with us. This meal is uh, a meal of remembrance. It's a meal that points to a reality. The meal itself, uh, without the substance of faith in Christ, doesn't afford you anything. And so we don't want you to have to pretend here. We don't want you to have to perform here. Don't feel the pressure or the need to come forward. Stay in your seat um, and, and receive this morning. Uh, but for those who are coming, we'll, we'll come and receive this meal with joy. And also what I want to do this morning is I want to take a moment. I'm going to ask uh, any, any of our pastors in the room, uh, Ricky, Phil, Chris is up here, so you can stay up here. Uh, any, any of other, other pastors in the room. Um, if when I was praying, particularly young people, young men, young women in this, in this room, uh, if, if as I was praying, your heart was stirred, uh, we'd love to p- pray for you. We'd love to stand and pray with over you, ask God to mark you, to move among you, to speak to you. Um, I, I'd love the opportunity to do that. I know, I know they'd love the opportunity to do that as well. So we'll be up here and we have prayer ministers in the room as well. So we're just gonna add to that. You can come to any of them. We've got Amanda over here. We've got people all over different places. Uh, please don't um, run out without responding. Um, and so we're gonna respond through coming to the table together. We're gonna respond through singing and we're gonna respond through prayer. So servers, you can come forward uh, and, and prepare. And then as we respond this way. We're just ask the spirit to move in our midst. So when they're up and ready, we're going to begin singing and uh, come forward when you're ready. Amen. <laughs>